And welcome to another episode of The Postcast. My name is Sean Fairholm and I'm here with Cassie Stein. Today we have something really different for you guys. We have not done this before, I don't believe, to this point. We're going to have a, a golf course architect, Steve Smyers, talk to, uh, to us about some of the courses he's done. He's done a Bella Colina Golf Club in Orlando with Nick Faldo, which is a gorgeous design. He's, he's done a lot of redesigns, Isleworth Golf Club, uh, Interlock and Golf Country Club in Winter Park, uh, Florida. Uh, Olympia Fields, the South Course remodel. So a lot of really cool stuff that he's done. They also have a, a great club, uh, Merido Golf Club, uh, out in Dallas that, that could be one of the hosts of the uh, PGA Championship in, in future years. We'll have to see. But uh, a fascinating guy, and uh, here is our, our conversation with Steve Smyers. And now we welcome on to the podcast, Steve Smyers, uh, golf course architect. Steve, th- uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's great being here. Steve, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, your background in, in golf course architecture, how you got started? Sure, sure, Sean. Well, you know, we have a saying in our business when I got into it, you're either born into it, you got lucky. <laughs> and uh, I, got, I got lucky. I got hired by right out of college. Worked for him for about a half dozen years, and uh, then my ignorance was my best ally, uh, thinking that I could do something. And if I know, if I know, do then what I know today, I probably wouldn't have started off on my on my own. But I took off on my own, uh, and I got a really big break, a lucky break, early in my career. I did a golf course in Indianapolis called uh, Wolf Run, which is an all men's club built for uh, an individual who was uh, an avid, avid golfer, a very good player. He, he's, he's been passed away for 20-some years. And uh, that kind of gave my launching pad. I was very fortunate. Most of my experience back then, architects were really regional. And most of my experience was in Florida. And my first, first big solo project was uh, in the Midwest, where I'm going today, believe it or not, to start another project up there. Mm. In Indianapolis, and uh, from there it took off. And over the last 30 years since then, I've worked on uh, six of the seven continents around the world. Wow! So it's been a fun, exhilarating experience. Steve, is this something that you always wanted to do? I mean, did you grow up saying, "Oh, I want to be a golf course architecture," or is this is this something that you just grown to love? You know, I think kids who grow up playing the game of golf. As you daydream in school, you do doodles, <laughs> and always a lot of us just did uh, golf courses, uh, dual golf courses. You know, I read a lot about Trent Jones, uh, senior at the time, and then in the meantime, I've become very good friends with Reese and Bobby Jones, which is <laughs> kind of interesting. But Trent Jones was kind of a little bit of my idol. Pete Dye was coming on the scene when I was in college in a big time, and. Uh, yeah, I, I, I always wanted to do it, but didn't know how to get into it, and just, just got lucky, really did. Steve, what, what was the most difficult course you uh, have designed or, uh, or redesigned? What, what was the most challenging one? You know, Sean, I think all of them have their challenges in one way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were, we were working on a mountaintop site that had uh, a tremendous amount of earth moving to take place. Uh, we've built in some 
Florida swampland that is that is kind of uh, difficult to to design. I think one of the most interesting ones that we we actually designed and started building, but the economic downturn got us was a course in Iceland. Hmm. Uh, it was uh, it was in the dunes of Iceland. It was right on the uh, right on the Atlantic Ocean, the North Atlantic Ocean. But the challenge there was to was to stabilize the site because the wind blew so much that uh, by definition dunes move and shift. So we had to go through a very strenuous planning and uh, and uh, process to make sure that we had everything in place where we, when we built the golf course, the dunes wouldn't shift and uh, bury it in, in time. Wow. wow, that's wild. Um, you just mentioned Iceland, and obviously you've designed courses all around the world, Australia, England, France, and obviously the U.S. Is there a country that you haven't designed in and that you would like to? Well, uh, you know, right now we're, we're fortunate. You know, we, there's a lot of countries we haven't designed in. Uh, the, we just spread around the continents. But right now, Cassie, we're focused here in the good old USA. Uh, okay. We've got a number of projects here. I, I love the international travel. But uh, working in America, I think the level of golf is a little more sophisticated. Uh, and uh, it's, it's fun just working here in the United States right now. Steve, tell us about your your time as uh, president of the American Society of Golf Course Architects in in 2015, and and what do you do for the society now? Well, you know, uh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, that's an interesting question. What I do now, not much. Play golf, so it was it was a great time. You know, I, uh, you know, in our business, we've got a lot of very. Good people. We've got a lot of really smart people, a lot of big decision makers in golf. And uh, during that tenure, I got to know my fellow architects better, which I think was good. Not only did I learn from some of their philosophies and whatnot, but I got to know them better as people. Uh, you know, our industry kind of went through a, a soft period with the economic downturn, and we all kind of banded together in out of that. Our, our organization. Uh, came out a stronger organization, which which I which I was part of, which which made me feel very good. Uh, the one great thing about it is all the allied associations, uh, USGA, the PGA of America, the PGA Tour, the Golf Course Superintendents Association, uh, Golf Course Builders, we all kind of gathered together to promote the game of golf and make the golf game of golf healthier and better. And uh, though we were the small small organization amongst those, those other organizations, we, uh, we, we interacted with those other groups pretty good. Mm. It was a very unique time. Mm. So just last week in Global Golf Post, Jim Nugent wrote about the third installment about the distance report released by the USGA and RNA. You said in the article that um, golf course designers should better challenge elite players off the tee. Can you just elaborate more um, on this report and then the comments you made with that? Yeah, Cassie, that's that's uh, you've hit a good topic with me there, and uh, you know I was very fortunate. I served 13 years on what is now the Equipment Standards Committee for the USGA, and six of those years on the Executive Committee. So I uh, I I date back to this topic uh, to the late 90s, which was which is kind of interesting. But the statement I made in Global Golf Post about driving the golf ball uh, dates back to I was very very fortunate 
and I'm dating myself now, but in 1967, I was a Champions Golf Club. And Jackie Burke's son, John, and I grew up together playing golf. And we got to watch Ben Hogan hit golf balls on the range. It was myself, Jackie Burke, Ben Hogan, Jimmy DeMerit, and Jackie Burke's son, John. And Ben Hogan was hitting golf balls. And there's a lot of things I remember about that. But he made one statement. He didn't talk much, but he made one statement to Jimmy DeMerit. And he said, Jimmy, you've got to drive the ball good. Because if you drive the ball good, you can attack the golf course. And you drive it poorly, the golf course course attacks you. And that has stuck in my mind all these years. And we talk about driving distance on the tour. And you know, these, these modern day players are very athletic. Their swing speed's greater. I mean I can go on and on for that over for that. But but it's all about the approach shot to them and the control that they could put on the, the control they could put on the golf ball with spin. And if you just have the lightest of rough, it doesn't have to be heavy rough, just the lightest of rough where the grass comes to the equator of the golf ball, they start to lose the spin on the ball that they would, uh, they wouldn't get as much spin on the golf ball as they would coming out of the fairway. So I'm a big proponent of making them drive it straight or make them drive it with intelligence, uh, put a focus on accuracy. And if they don't quite, hit it in a place they won't want to hit it, then their angle's not as good, but then they will not be able to control the spin on the golf ball. And if you look at the uh, statistics, the proximity to the hole from shots coming out of the fairway as opposed to coming out of the green, or coming out, coming out of the rough as opposed to coming out of the fairway, the shots out of the rough are not as close as those shots coming out of the fairway, especially with a forward hole location. So I'm, I'm a big, big, big proponent on that. Uh, and it's all about uh, controlling the spin and uh, anticipating how the ball is going to come out. And I don't mean to go on and on on this, but uh, I think a good example of that was last year in the final round of the U.S. Open. Brooks Kepka, who the eventual champion was, on the 10th hole, he drove it in the first cut of rock. He had a short iron to the green. It was a forward hole location. He hit it out, his ball landed about 10 feet from the hole or close to the hole, rolled out about 60 feet away, and he three-putted. At about the same time, Ricky Fowler, who was in contention on the 12th hole, drove it in the rough, and the, the, the green on number 12 was open in the front, and he hit a wonderful little punch shot out of the rough and used the contour short of the green and rolled it up there about 15 feet. Uh, he had a birdie putt, he didn't make it, but that's being able to, uh, that's number one with Kepka. He couldn't control the, the spin on the golf ball coming out of the rough. But rookie Tyler anticipated how the ball was going to react coming out of the rough. So I think light rough is a very integral part of the game of golf. Steve, just to kind of follow up on that, I'm curious, what is the balance between um, making a course where you do challenge players in the way you're talking about, you do narrow the fairways and, and have them have more opportunities where they have to hit it straight or they're playing out of the rough, but also balancing it where you're building a golf course where the average player is not being uh, overly challenged and can still, you know, have a decent shot of hitting in the fairway, if, if, you, know, if you know what I'm saying. Sean, great, great question, fantastic question. Um, I get this all the time, uh, to be honest with you. And I think the course we just recently did in Dallas called Merido is a good example of that. Uh, 
we we set that course up to be a championship course. But you know, the everyday play is uh, you know uh, middle range handicappers, uh, older people, things of that nature. So the first thing is is tee placement. That, that that's that's probably the most critical aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But we keep a couple things. We keep the rough cut down to where they can hit the golf ball out of the rough. Now, a person with a high swing spin, and then then we make sure that all the greens were open in the front so they can hit that shot Ricky Fowler hit, they can land it short and run it up. But the higher swing speed player, say the elite player on tour, when they get it in, in a light cut rough, they they have to be very aware of flyers because their swing speed is so high. Mm-hmm. A lower, an older person with a lower swing speed does not hit flyers, but they hit what I call divers. It goes out and the ball hits the ground and has a tremendous amount of overspin. So if they don't hit it in the fairway, we leave the open in the front so they can use the contours in front of the green to move the ball forward. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, Sean, um, you know, there's a difference between difficult and unfair and difficult and fair. Mm. And so we really, really strive to make it, and difficult's not the right word. I would say stimulating is a better word, but we try to make sure that it is fair. In other words, a ball doesn't hit um, a wild contour in the middle of a putting surface and, and green 30 or 40 feet away. And if you, get a, if you hit an A shot, you get an A result. We can't let you go without asking about your playing days, because a part of being a designer is, is also being a being a competitive golfer and understanding how the how the game works as well uh, you, you've played in six decades of usga championships uh, what is your playing clear, uh, career like now and and how often do you get to play well you know i i've got to say and i play more than i should but not as much as i want <laughs> uh, kind of ebbs and flows you know our, our profession we travel a tremendous amount i probably leave town 250 days a year doesn't mean wow. i stay out of down. I, I leave town and I come back. Uh, I do play golf on the road, uh, though I would say I, I uh, so I've done that my whole life and, and I, I'm, I'm kind of proud of the fact that I was able to do that and still be able to compete a little bit uh, at somewhat of a high level. Most of the guys that would beat me through my working days, uh, they didn't have to travel extensively. They still with their careers, but they had a little bit of more stability as far as travel goes. Uh, but I still get out and play, play quite a bit. Uh, I play a limited tournament schedule. They just had a course that we did out in southwest Florida called, uh, called Fort Myers Country Club. They've got a very nice tournament there every year called the Yingling Open. My friend Rich Lamb puts together. And, uh, you know, they've got some guys who play there who are, who are uh, are in between the uh, PGA Tour and the, and the Champions Tour. They've got uh, quite a few players that play on the Latin American Tour, Asian Tour, things like that. But they have an amateur division. And the amateur divisions comprise of mainly a, local, a lot of local amateurs down there. For somehow or another, I was able to slip in and win that thing. So, oh, congrats. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you have a favorite course in like the Tampa area that you just go out and play at at all? Well, you know, that's that's an unfair question. I did a memorial, <laughs> memorial in, uh, in Tampa for the uh, the founders of the Outback Steakhouse. And uh, Old Memorial is a, 
is a true golfer's club. Uh, it's a walking only. Uh, full of uh, very, very avid golfers, and I call that home. We've got a lot of uh, very um, good, a lot of good players who are members there, and uh, I'm proud to call that home. <laughs> Steve, last question for you. Do you have any plans for the future that you can share with us at this time for, for your golf course design or uh, uh, working on anything? Yeah, Cassie, thank you. You know, we just got off that exciting project in Dallas called Merido, which Lee Trevino has been very, very, uh, and he even put a quote in Global Golf Post that Texas finally has a course that can host a PGA or a U.S. Open. So that wow. we're coming right off that. And I am, uh, as soon as we hang up here, I'm going to the airport because we have just started construction. Uh, I'm going to the University of Indiana. We're building a new golf course up there, which... Uh, my old friend Spider Miller, the Walker Cup, past Walker Cup captain, introduced me to, got me involved in, and uh, we're, we're building that uh, to hopefully host uh, Legion and NCAA championships there. So that that's an exciting project. Then we're also doing uh, one in Orlando, Florida. Uh, my clients bought the old uh, Errol Estate golf course, and we're going to take, uh, take it and reposition it. Uh, reroute it, rechange it around, build an 18-hole golf course uh, there. That's uh, going to be kind of a. Uh, they're going to have a boutique hotel, and it's going to be kind of a go-to place. And then uh, for my friend Rich Lamb down in Fort Myers, Florida, he uh, operates two public courses down there, and we'll be doing the second phase of the Eastwood course, which is a daily fee access course down there. But it's uh, uh, for Southwest Florida, it's kind of unique, and there's not a home on the property and it's cut through the forest so it's a it's a pretty nice uh we're the golf course is 40 years old we're redoing it we've rerouted a few holes because they, they're putting a road in but uh those are those are some exciting projects and uh doing some work at our club up in new jersey right now well sounds like there are some exciting times ahead for you steve thank you so much for joining us today it was a pleasure thank you for your time And that's all the time we have left on the postcast today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Global Golf Post. Until next time, hit them straight. See you later.